So I kind of just took on my own and I just started developing as much as I can. So I would practice or I would create, you know, really interesting patterns and designs or grab my Judy and just kind of drape and draft and just think without a textbook. And I kind of just, what makes sense and how do I get from point A to point B? And that's kind of how I drew my technical knowledge is I kind of developed that realm first. And then once I had more of that experience in terms of my personal experience of being more comfortable with knowing what to do, then I started working and applying to these positions, you know, in, in Montreal, working for Le Chateau is where I started and kind of bridging from there where I wanted to eventually end up. Welcome to Chase Your Dreams, a podcast for fashion entrepreneurs who want to build a purposeful and profitable clothing business so they can make a living doing what they love. I'm your host, Glynis Tao, an apparel business consultant and SEO specialist with 20 years apparel industry experience. I'm also a mom to a wonderfully energetic little boy named Chase. Ryan Amore is a Vancouver-based celebrity fashion designer with expertise in pattern engineering and grading. He specializes in women's evening and dress wear, occasion wear, athletic wear, and high fashion. Like me, he's also a graduate from Ryerson School of Fashion. Yay! (laughs) Ryan has been blessed to have worked in many positions, fluidly flowing and always taking on a challenge, including roles as a head designer, senior pattern engineer, technical designer and sketcher, grader, development coordinator and product development, which provided him with many outlets to learn, test himself and evolve his sensibility and skill. Ryan has worked with many global brands such as Aritzia, Calvin Klein, Canada Goose, Le Chateau, and Joe Fresh, with many high-end clients such as Christian Dior and Zach Posen. Welcome, Ryan. It's so nice to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So you have a lot of experience, both working for global brands as well as now running your own business and you're so you're currently self-employed is that correct I am currently self-employed yes yeah do you want to tell us all what you're currently working on yeah well um currently I have a uh, technical production company um and it's called the Ryan Amore Design Studio and what I do is I help facilitate the gap between startups or corporate companies who need more of that experienced technical help um, that is driven towards specific products. So if it's dresswear, if it's evening wear, if it's sportswear, um, and they hire me and I come on with my knowledge and um, everything that I have to offer and I help them develop or redevelop certain aspects of their company, um, more in the technical worlds like the pattern drafting or the grading, um, and then I take on product commodities for them. So I take on uh, projects that they need done, styles that they need developed, patterns that they need re-engineered or rethought through, um, new initiatives they might have. Um, and that's primarily what I do right now. Um, but I also have my own design label um, that's called Brian Amore. Um, and it's uh, women's evening dress occasion wear. Uh, and it's, it's tailored towards that everyday 
ready to wear woman who's going to work, going into the office, um, but also wants something very comfortable and relaxing to go out, out after work. Um, and that's what I design and have been doing for years now. And yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've seen some of your designs on your website, especially that dress that's on your homepage. If anyone has a chance to uh, check out Ryan Amore's uh, website, that dress is amazing. So did you design that and did you make it as well? Yeah, so we heard of a previous collection and it's uh, with some designers that we, we you know, worked together with. And it was like a, a design co collective in Toronto. Um, we would work together and develop stuff together, design together. Um, but we all had separate collections. Um, and it was a really cool kind of like a think tank idea where you can really, that's kind of how I initially started off as we um, would get together in these groups and we just kind of hash ideas out, see where each, each of us wants to go and how we want to get there. Um, and we just kind of like feed, feed off each other creatively. Um, and that was one of the products that kind of came out of that. Um, on my end is we were talking, kind of going through that whole like bespoke kind of ethereal-esque vibe and uh, it kind of just landed into that realm and it, it turned out pretty well. Uh, That's amazing. Um, and by looking at the photos and your portfolio, you can really tell that you have a very strong technical background. And so do you want to talk about how you develop that? You yeah, I'd love to, yeah. Ability? Yeah, so as you said, went to Ryerson University, um, started off my fashion journey there. Ryerson was great because it was a great just introduction into kind of the realm of what fashion is and what it offers and what the different aspects of the fashion community kind of do. I think that's one of the things that people coming into the industry, they don't really know the diverse range of what is in fashion. People say, hey, what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm a fashion designer. I work in fashion. And they immediately go towards that like quintessential like person sketching and just like, you know, saying a few words in a meeting and nothing too <laughs> crazy. Um, but there's such a diverse range. So I started off at Ryerson and I immediately just wanted to kickstart my career and I kind of learned as much as I can outside of school. Uh, and I think that's what really helped me in the long run. Um, it just, it really opened my eyes and like the breadth of everything that's available and also like where I wanted to go. I think there's such a, a hard line these days that you have to kind of know where you want to go earlier on versus I took the route as I kind of just experience as much as I possibly can within my education, inside and outside. And then from that, once I left university, I kind of had an idea of where I wanted to go. So I worked with a bunch of Toronto designers. Um, one of them, his name is Farley Chato. He's an amazing amazing designer. He's worked with some of the top brands as well globally. Um, he's been in the industry for an amazing amount of time and has such a vast knowledge. Um, and he's an amazing furrier now in Toronto and has his seasonal collections. And that's kind of how, where I started is I really leaned on him and he really helped teach me and kind of guide me through the process and introduce me into other things that you kind of don't really learn. So once I left school, I kind of had that idea of, hey, I really love the technical aspect. I also love designing, but I'm really drawn to that more of thinking 3D, thinking outside the box and having to really think about putting things together and how they go together. And then also like, how do I communicate that and how they go together? And I guess that's what was really drawn to me. So once I left school, I kind of looked for alternative avenues where I could get as much experience as I can in those. 
So I, you know, I randomly applied how most pe people do. They just like submit a resume online and see what happens. And obviously you go through many of those kind of um, no phases or the rejection phases of no one um, answering you or, you know, you're hearing a response that's just very blatant and just like, we have a full staff right now, but we'll keep you in mind. And yeah. Yada, yada. So I kind of just took on my own and I just started developing as much as I can. So I would practice or I would create, you know, really interesting patterns and designs or grab my Judy and just kind of drape and draft and just think without a textbook. And I kind of just, what makes sense and how do I get from point A to point B? And that's kind of how I drew my technical knowledge is I kind of developed that realm first and then once I had more of that experience in terms of my personal experience of being more comfortable with knowing what to do, then I started working and applying to these positions, you know, in, in Montreal, working for Le Chateau is where I started and kind of bridging from there where I wanted to eventually end up. And that's kind of how my career trajectory kind of went is I would apply for one job and most jobs in the technical realm usually are contract or a freelance base. They do offer more of that, you know, full-time permanent, but I was really that person that really wanted to come in and take advantage of the freelancing and contract position because I really wanted to learn as much as I can. And I really want to take advantage of that because not a lot of people do that. They really go into the industry being like, oh, I want this like nine, nine to five job, or I want to be like this senior designer and I want to work for this one company. Yeah, like it's so true. <laughs> I think a lot of new grads that come out are thinking of climbing that ladder, right? Yes, and getting it to are. the top. And some want to be at that top level position right away as well without putting yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like the total opposite. I was like, I want to take advantage of what isn't happening. And I was like, okay, like I have spent some time developing at least my set, my sensibilities of what I know. And obviously there's still such a huge gap of what you need to learn, but I at least knew confidently going in, okay, I, I think I can handle this now. And so, you know, I started applying for the jobs and I was getting them and I was getting these contracts and I was working for a year for this company or two years for that company or three companies at once signing a bunch of non-disclosure <laughs> agreements. But it worked in my favor because it really allowed me to just learn so much because every company works different. Every company does things very similarly, but every company approaches everything quite differently. Their staff is very diverse. Their knowledge base is extremely diverse. They have such amazing talent on their teams. Uh, and me as a freelancer and a contractor, I was able to really come in and take advantage of that and not just learn how that company works, but really learn those individual styles and how certain people approach things and how you might not have even have thought to approach it a certain way, but it turns out slightly better. Or there's something that you might not even learn in a textbook and you can only really learn <laughs> through experience. Yes. Um, and that's really what, where my background has come from is experience-based. Uh, it's so Learning hands-on, right? You can read yeah, you can only learn so much in school yes, in totally. terms of theory. But I think you working in the real world is that's where you get your experience from. You do. And don't get me wrong, textbooks have their place um, and schools knowledge has its place. It's a fantastic tool for you to engage yourself in it, but the, it really comes kind of that line of practicality and what 
you should do and what you shouldn't do, right? What you should do on paper always looks better. <laughs> you know, yes. you write something down, you're like, oh, this sounds fantastic. It's going to work. But when you get into like the practicality aspect of working within a team and working within, you know, trying to meet these deadlines and trying to be cross-functionally accurate with like working with 10 other people, there's certain things that you do um, and develop along the way that kind of help you kind of align better with how do you fix this type of pattern? Is there a better way to, you know, holistically fix it versus, you know, what you might want to do based on what you see from a textbook? Um, and that's exactly what my experience has pretty much taught me working for all these brands and these designers is it's really helped me open my eyes to don't go with what you first see, but go with what you kind of want to see it be. So, you know, don't, if you look at a, a sheet of paper and you think, oh, this is what should happen. It's like, yeah, great. You have that knowledge and you already have that kind of instinct of knowing what you want to do. Fantastic. But now kind of take a step back and then think of, is there anything else that can go, that I can fix or I can fix it a different way that might make better sense or more sense to just help align with what that specific company is doing or what that, you know, specific de designer is wanting you to do or develop. Because um, that in itself is such a great learning experience because it really helps set you apart from thinking again from that flat 2D to thinking more of that 3D. Instead of thinking instantly, this is what you should do, think, you know, outside the box, is there anything else I can do? And of course, experience comes with that where, you know, once you work in the industry for so long and you see a pattern, you're like, oh, that's instantly, I know exactly what's wrong. And that comes with experience. Yes. But as you're starting, you really want to kind of take that step back just to further engage yourself with finding other alternatives. And that's yeah, exactly <laughs> I think so. I think you really have to approach it with that openness and mindset of like being a sponge and just really absorbing, you know, maybe not necessarily the way you might do something but you might learn something by working with another person and seeing oh you mean this can be done this way so i think all work experience you have you always learn from something from that you can bring into your next job or running your own business do you think having a strong technical background helps you become a better designer because you're able to trend you need to be able to translate the idea right from your design into a 3d product I think it does. I think every designer should have some form of, you know, minute technical experience. It doesn't have to be super extravagant, super drawn out. But I think having that background knowledge of just how to approach how to fix something or what something even looks like really helps the designer kind of gauge what they're designing and then also what, you know, what they're actually drawing and what they're kind of creating. I've worked with designers in the past that would just draw me a sketch and the sketch would just be more of a silhouette. And then I would have to figure out how do I make that silhouette work, right? And mm -hmm. I would have to sit there and I would have to then be that designer that would be like, okay, well, if we're making this type of jacket, it's like, we're gonna have to have this type of seam here and we're gonna have to have this type of a darting here and we're gonna have to have the pocket placement here because if you want this type of shape, you have to do this. And then you kind of go back and forth with that designer Kind of talking it over and hashing it out and it comes down to you know that unfortunate designer not having that knowledge to kind of pre-sketch that in for you where then they have thought that through right it's yeah. their design they have thought that kind of design aspect through where they want the scene so then that's where i would come in and kind of help coach them i'm like great let's take this let's make a 
proto sample or let's stick it into Clow 3D and see how it turned out. Um, and then we kind of go through the placements and like where those adjustments need to happen. So having a technical background, again, it could just be an introduction into knowing what certain corrections are called and knowing what certain seams are called, knowing if you have a shaped garment, do I put in a princess seam or do I want darts and where those darts might go or where you might want them. Um, that helps a lot because it really helps the, again, that teamwork and that kind of communication between the designer and that technical aspect. So yeah, for sure, having that technical knowledge, especially for me, um, working with clients, also developing my own collections has really helped me design quicker and smarter because I can really gauge what I want off the bat. Um, and then it helps kind of in that kind of rendering phase of what I want to fix, and how I want to fix it versus then trying to think about, well, do I want to add this seam or do I not want to add this seam? How is it going to affect the shape? And you're kind of going down that, that ladder of just like 10 different things that you kind of have to fix and do. Mm -hmm. You could have had that kind of fixed and fleshed out in the first stage. Yeah. You know, sketched and have kind of done all that. Right. And so that's where you come in as well. Like you help designers um, mm -hmm. turn that idea into a physical product, right? Like yeah. um, say if a designer comes to you, um, I have these designs and these sketches, but I need help to creating these into a real physical product or creating tech packs or helping the development of, you know, the product development stage, which is the process that's between design to production like so is that what you do yeah exactly um i have clients who come in with again those very basic sketches or even images on the internet of like i yeah. want to create a collection and this is what i want i have my my market i have you know a great following on instagram or you know i left my full-time job and i really want to be more creative and i want to create this or i even have companies and like big design labels that give me kind of that right as well. I'm like, hey, this is, these are our seasonal ideas. This is what we want. Can we send you the package and you can kind of just start working? So that's kind of where I come in is I help these designers. They can be, you know, start off or they can be start up companies or they can be corporate companies or they can even be like big ateliers and like powerhouses in the industry. I come in and I help, just as you said, mostly coach them and we kind of go through that process as we kind of flush out what they want, what they want versus what their target market <laughs> it wants and what can be sellable and what might not be sellable. And it's always based off of, you know, seasonal developments. And if an idea is more personal or if an idea is more targeted, then I think that's the biggest difference in kind of coaching and developing with yeah. um, clients is really focusing in on, is this more of a personal taste or is this more so of, a collaborative taste with your target market? Are you designing something specifically for mm. a very specific person like you, or are you designing something specifically for a market that you kind of see a gap in? Um, so I come in and I help them design through the process. We go through a technical stage of ideation, you know, making technical CADs, and we kind of go through kind of creating basic construction sheets. And then once kind of that is drawn out and kind of flushed out and they know what they want, and it's, yes, this is great, this is what I want, then we start that technical process of drafting the first proto pattern, and then we create the tech pack, um, and then we decide if they want to make it domestically or internationally, and what's more feasible for their brand. Um, and we kind of go through that whole phase, and then it's just through an approval phase after that once we kind of submit everything. 
to the factories or to our domestic sewers. Um, and then once it's approved, then we kind of go through that process of grading the patterns, making the markers, and then they're ready kind of to place a bulk order um, and start creating their um, their vision into a mass product. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and you do you also do um, pattern drafting as well? I do. So most of my experience is uh, pattern engineering. Um, and so and almost every job I worked at is more in that technical aspect. So I started off my career technically and I've always worked pretty much in every company, either as a technical um, developer, technical manager, or a senior designer who works with the tech department um, to design and develop. So I've, you know, created massive ball gowns for these big, you know, Parisian brands, all the way to working with designers in New York, making like more evening wear and occasion wear collections, and then working for corporately into more of that mass market ready to wear brands that you're making like 100,000, 200,000 units per style. Um, so most of my experience is in that drafting. And I call myself more of a creative pattern drafter because most of my experience is really thinking in that 3D form um, versus just, you know, making a very basic t-shirt. I specialize more in that more advanced making, you know, really interesting trench coats or evening wear and ball gowns, mm. um, functional dresses. Uh, I'm working with a bunch of clients now that are doing more of the technology base where they're introducing technology into dress wear and outerwear, where it's not so much just a jacket anymore. You can do so much with it. So that's mostly where my, tra my trajectory is now going is more of that interesting kind of creative aspect into the technical world. When I take on a client, I'm very... I'm very cautious in the realm of, I want to know what they've done because I don't want to have to come in and, you know, start from square, square one where they don't really have any idea or like backlog of what they want. So when I work with brands and companies, um, it's kind of a mixture. When I work with high-end companies, it's very great or like corporate companies because they have such a um, distinctive direction of where they want to go um, because they already kind of, found what they want and they kind of just bridge off that and they have their own design teams and their tech teams and that's where I come in and kind of just help kind of fill that void of you know the experience that might be lacking or experience that they need to engage with or um, just overall um, different help in terms of like the technical aspect but when I work with like smaller brands it's very interesting because they have a very very creative aspect like they're so energetic and they have such a, uh, a extreme fondness <laughs> for the apparel industry which is great they just have such an outlook so it, it kind of can be both I have a very I have extreme amount of fun working with like design houses like ateliers in Paris um, they're very fun because they're very targeted towards more of a one-on-one -on -one, um, style with their clients, which is quite nice. Um, but then when you work with the more corporately aspected, you're very working in towards like the 60, 70 styles a season. And you have to like worry about little changes versus a vast, you know, more specific change that you might do to fit a client. You're mostly focused on developing something for mass market. Um, but then when you work with more of a startup or like a designer, again, they're very much more tailored into the aspect of what they want. They have more of that creative idea, um, which is also fun and exciting. Right. I guess it could just be a, a mixture. <laughs> <laughs> um, so right now we're in the midst of uh, a global pandemic, which is 
you know, <laughs> turned everything upside down and changed the way I was doing business and not being able to do a lot of face-to-face, um, you know, especially with fashion. Fashion shows have been canceled and also manufacturing, um, factories. Like, how has, has the pandemic affected your business? Absolutely. I think it's affected everybody um, to any regard. Um, at least with what I do, it's not directly affected immediately because we're still developing for you know six to eight months to a year out. Mm-hmm. And then if we're halfway through developing now, then you know I've had half my clients pause or they're like, okay, we're going to still develop, but we're not going to do any bulk until next year. Um, so they're not going to place a big order with a factory to develop the actual sewn goods until after. Um, the end of the year. So there is definitely a delay um, for sure in the amount of work or in the amount of what the client is willing to take on. But again, that really comes down to the comfortability of that client. Um, More of the corporately drawn clients or the atelier drawn clients, um, they're still developing. They're just kind of honed back on what, how much they're developing. They're not going to develop as much as they used to, and they're going to be smarter. So they're scaling back like on the like the number of pieces that they put out or like how are they adjusting or it's a mixture so it's kind of like a formula that a lot of corporately drawn companies work with and they kind of relate back to their sales right so everything in a corporate company is always drawn by what it's selling yeah Um, what size is selling what color is selling if it's selling better in one location and not in another um is there a specific dress that might be selling the best and why is it selling the best and they always look into that right they're merchants and they're they're buyers within those companies that's their job is they kind of like hound in on that market drawn data to really figure that out now a lot of the companies are drawing back from that data but now they don't have anything to really gauge moving forward so a lot of companies at least that i'm working with is they're still designing and developing they're still going to be creating their collections and they're still going to be creating new product but they are making a shift towards more of that what we call a carryover style is where styles that have sold very well on the past and they're going to take those styles and kind of rejig them and re-engineer them to create more frontline product on the stores while they take the time to develop smarter with their kind of design-based collections that they're creating. So they're kind of taking something that they've already kind of developed, might be adding a new fabric or, you know, slightly tailoring the fit but in essence it, it the most of the work has been done already that tech pack is mostly finished that pattern is mostly finished and they're kind of just re-engineering it to fit their new fabric and the new fit intent and then they'll make more units with that but at a smaller rate um, i worked for a company that was making or am working with a company that's making you know two to three hundred thousand pieces per unit and they kind of scaled that back down to more of the 50 to 60,000 and then they're being very targeted towards where they're shipping these units to so again they're reverting back to their current sales data now that stores yeah. are being more cautious with that yeah, and, uh, exactly. not yeah. overproducing um, totally. yeah and and yeah. sticking with more like um of the 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 tested like styles that are proven right yes, like carry over like style. yeah yes they know it sounds i know their clients love it but they know hey if we bring it in these six new colors and two new fabrics it's going to be more interesting to them um, but again from a consumer perspective they might not know it they might not know that it's the same product they might think it's a new product and that's kind of where that kind of identity comes from within the corporate world <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's just really interesting to see how um, established businesses are handling this um, crisis, how they're, you know, uh, moving forward or, or pivoting. Um, but also with um, new brands and startups who are in the early stages, like, what advice would you give to them? Like, is this the time to be starting a new business even? Are they thinking about it? Like, you know, what if somebody is just going like, what should I be doing right now? I think from my experience, you can start now or you can start a year from now, or you could have started two years ago. It really won't make any difference. The only difference that is going to make is your purchasing of your bulk goods, how much you're going to purchase. But the whole development phase isn't really going to change. Right. So me creating the tech pack and us creating the patterns and us talking to our factories or to our sewers to develop those styles. There really isn't much of a delay. I, I still have my, my factories in China, my factories in Taiwan, my, you know, my ateliers in Paris who are sewing me stuff. And they're still de- developing on a weekly basis. And their time frames really haven't um, distended that much from what I should be expecting. Um, if we were developing when this was hitting China, then of course it would have been much, much delayed. Um, and during that time in more of the January era, that's when it was a hard stop to more of that Northern American market um, because a lot of the production is based in China for a lot of these companies. And when China shut down for, for the month and a month and a bit, that's when all these brands are seeing such a heavy delay. But if you're starting off or you're wanting to develop something, still spend the time to do it. It's still gonna take you the same amount of time it would have taken you six months ago or six months from now. But the advantage of you doing it now is that you can really flush out what you want knowing that you might not be able to place a bulk order for six months, right? So it's gonna give you that time frame to really develop what you want, focus in on how you wanna develop it and how you wanna design it. But then it also helps to bring in people like yourself who are really you know, skilled at tailoring and helping brands kind of market and like introducing them into other aspects of where they can go. And I think that in itself is an advantage. Um, I have clients who are placing bulk orders. I had a client, for instance, that placed a 50,000 piece bulk order last week. Um, And there isn't any delay from our factory in Taiwan. Um, They're going to meet the X factory date, which means the when the factory expects the goods to be finished and to ship out. So there isn't much of a delay anymore, but what we're seeing now is these production lines being filled up rather quickly because as these brands now are getting more comfortable with, okay, things are starting to open up. Okay, we can slowly start doing this. A lot of the production schedules and what's available for clients to make stuff at these companies now are starting to be filled up. So it's just being smart on kind of how you want to develop and where you want to develop. But of course, if you can do it, I would start now and just take the time to really develop with your technical designer or your pattern drafter or whomever is helping you um, and really flush through and make sure that everything is kind of well thought together because it'll make it a a quicker process when you go in internationally to develop. Many of the startups that I'm working with currently are now thinking of producing more seasonless collections and not doing like um, four or five seasons, spring, summer, like fall, winter, a holiday. Like they, now they're trying to create more of a seasonless or evergreen styles that can be sold year round. Um, Do you think that would be a good um, thing to do? 
Like if you're starting out to minimize the amount of risk by producing like a more seasonless collection or? Yeah, a lot of the higher end labels now are actually transitioning into a seasonless um, kind of marketing strategy with developing their collections. Like I think Gucci was doing is, I think started doing that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think in early May or something, they like released a press release that they're going to go seasonless. And I think that is the trajectory of where I believe the industry is going. That's kind of how I develop. You know, I don't really do, you know, spring, resort, summer, you know, fall, winter, winter two, and all that kind of stuff. It's just that in itself, I think, puts into perspective of when issues globally like this come up, it kind of halts everything so heavily, where it's like, you already have this like one year of development behind it, and then now you can't make it. And then now that this big kind of pandemic has happened and the world has kind of, you know, close itself slightly and retracted, you're going to have to rethink everything that you kind of just done. And I think that's what's smart about a seasonless collection is you can really release products based off of what your customer is wanting versus of when you think you need to release it by, right? Like, oh, we have to have a spring, summer and have to have a fall, winter versus if you create a collection that's targeted towards that specific client you're looking for, a seasonless collection might make more sense for you, right? You might be doing, um, you know, it's like a type of athletic wear, right? Athletic wear can be seasonless if you do it correctly. You can have something that's targeted towards certain aspects of the athletic wear. And that's what a lot of some of the athleisure brands are doing now. So yeah, for sure. I think seasonless is hopefully <laughs> the epitome of what the fashion industry strives to be. But um, seasonal collections are always based off of money, right? You always try to like bring in as much money to develop those collections and kind of go through that. Uh, that's kind of how that started yeah um <laughs> what trends do you see emerge as a result of COVID-19 um, um yeah what do you pretty see? much throughout all my clients they have all transitioned into eco-friendly um they're I, I want to say like 80 percent of the clients that I have and I usually have about 30 35 clients at a time uh, and a lot of them are drawn towards um, extreme transparency with their mills and their vendors. Um, and this is a new thing that I, I come over, I want to say the last three months is I had clients who come and they had, for instance, like a Ponto Roma fabric, which is heavily, you know, polyester and has a lot of like uh, plastics in it, right? Versus now that they're transitioning into fabrics that they want to use that are made from recycled fishnets or recycled plastics or coffee beans or what have you and they want to be more transparent on the water re re reduction that's being used into creating the fabrics and you know they want more transparency in how much their operators are being sewn and I think this whole global shift is really opening the eyes especially into the apparel world of how it works because there is so much wastage and there is so much disheartening that's happening within certain aspects of the industry. So the trend for that is a lot of companies are being much more strategic in how they're developing, so what they're developing, but also how they're developing it in terms of the fabrics they're choosing and is the upscale that they're charging for the fabric worth it? And a lot of companies are saying yes because it's making the client much more engaged into the product. You know, it's like, hey, my whole collection is looks the same as if it was produced from something that you you can buy at a high-end store but it's all made out of a recycled material and feels twice as soft the hand is much softer and that is much more engaging to a client um, 
knowing that, hey, this garment was produced in, you know, my sewers are being paid $25 an hour, they have insurance, all my fab fabrics recycled, um, there's less electricity that's being used to produce it, less water that's being used to produce it. Um, so I think the trend is, is also stylistic, but it's more so how and what is being produced and how they're producing is really where that trend is being set um, for that development. Um, I do have like some clients that are starting to implement more of that face mask S style into their stylings. Like Christian Suriano is kind of like the amazing aspect of that. He makes these like beautiful kind of beaded versions of his masks for his gowns and it's like beautiful, like it's stunning. Um, a lot of like smaller brands now are starting to pick up on that where they're starting to make more of that creative mask idea for their collections and starting to implement that into it. So it's, it's gonna be interesting to see if the mask carries over over the next like you know six seven months um, styling wise into the apparel industry but that's definitely something that like we're noticing now is um, yeah. that and athleisure athleisure is becoming huge we're yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting you see what will come out of this and how like the mask it, they'll stick around and become a fashion statement yeah for sure and it's again de designing smarter because a lot of these companies have no idea right what their clients want and yeah. that's the biggest issue with a lot of these companies filing for bankruptcy and not you know not being having to fire a lot of their staff because they lost so much money during oh, this totally. phase that they don't know how to proceed forward and the only way to proceed forward is to shrink what's the most expensive right and the most expensive usually is staff um, and then minusing what they're kind of creating so it's going to be very interesting to see how all these companies approach the design element moving forward. Like what's their kind of design formula that they want to create? Are they going to go seasonless as you kind of pointed out? Or are they going to go into more of a targeted seasonal collection? Are they going to be very specific on what they're launching? Or are they just going to create kind of how they used to in the past, but just at a smaller rate? Who knows, right? I think it's, it's in everybody's court. They don't really know what's going to happen yet. <laughs> Exactly. One thing I really like about you is you are very down to earth there and very grounded um, in an industry that's very image conscious, yeah. superficial. How do you stay grounded and true to yourself? Um, I think at the end of the day, I try to focus and trust me, I've been through many instances where it didn't work out. <laughs> um, you go through a lot of interesting kind of avenues working in like the corporate realm and, you know, when you take on certain things, but I try to focus on not what is like, not what that specific venture is trying to think or propel. I try to think more so about me and where I want to go and how this even if it's a good or a bad situation, it's still going to help benefit me. Um, and I try to look at it in the realm of, like you said, be a sponge. Um, obviously know your self-worth. I think that's the most important to working with any client or any company is know your self-worth. Know what, you, what your capabilities are. Be very transparent with yourself on knowing what you need to improve and where you need to go. And you know, don't be afraid to ask for help and ask questions. I think that's like the most restrictive thing working with any, I think, corporate client, or even if you work for a corporate company, say you had a, you got this amazing job offer. 
and you're kind of nervous on my first corporate job, I think with that, just be very open. Know when to ask questions, know when too much is too much, and know when you just need to develop and you just need to take on that responsibility to, you know, self-teach yourself or go speak to somebody who can help you develop. But at the end of the day, it's like, if it's something that isn't truly feeding you and you're truly not happy with it, then you know it's not right. You know, it's like you've kind of either learned as much as you can from there and you kind of hit your, your capacity or it's just not working out. And it's okay. It's okay for you to come to that conclusion and it's okay for you to be like, this isn't working and it's okay to leave. And I think that's like the biggest misconception working with any company or any brand is that you're kind of stuck, right? You're like, oh, I made it to this place. And it's like, everybody wants to work here, but I don't really feel it. I don't really love it. Or so, I don't really feel like I fit in. Right, but then they're like, I should stay or I have to stay because it's like this brand. And it's like, if I leave, is it a bad thing? And at the end of the day, it's like, who cares? Like, if it's not fitting you, and if you're not being drawn to it or you're not being energized by what you were doing, then why are you doing it? right? I try to do everything in my life in terms of I want to be excited from it. I want to love what I do. Of course, you go through those phases and, you know, work you get from clients. You're like, oh, I don't want to do this. But, you know, it's part of the job. But holistically, if you're not in it and you're not giving your 100 to it, then you know it's not right. So it's okay to make a change in your life. And it's okay to come to that conclusion and be like, I want to find something else or I, this isn't really working for me, Yeah. but of course give it time, right? Like you can't go into a company and work three months and be like, I hate this, right? Like you're so new. You got to like, you know, go through the, the ropes and kind of go through all that. A lot of companies have a lot of ladders to climb and it's very hierarchical. And that was one of the things that kind of, you know, distrusted me from wanting to continue in like more of a full-time position with corporate clients is mm-hmm. I like the aspect of, you know, growing up that ladder, but I didn't want that to be the reason why I wanted to work for a company. I didn't want it to be a reason because I was, you know, a senior and I wanted to be a manager. It's like, that's not why I wanted to do what I do. I don't want to be a person for a title basement. And that's why I was more so drawn into that freelancing contractor life is because I was able to do everything I love to do, but in a time scale and in a framework that I want to work in. Um, And that's what's most appealing to me. Right. Um, So it's not like you have to be in a a place, um, like a fixed location all the time, um, working nine to five, reporting under somebody and to, you know, adapt to a culture that may not necessarily fit with your values and all this stuff. Like I've experienced it myself um, working in different companies, but when you're young, you come out and you're still a little, you know, naive and you haven't really found out who you are. Like you're still figuring it all out. Right. Like there's just so many things and influences and stuff. And I places where I felt like I didn't really fit in. Then I was like, okay, just going to stick with this. And and learn, right, and grow. And in the end, you know, I figured out who I was more as a person and which places, what type of people I like to work with and which are, you know, that not so much. And um, I think um, every opportunity, good or bad, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> teaches you, <Yeah. laughs> right? 
There's always going to be, I think, in any kind of, it could speak to anybody who's worked in the industry. They could have worked in the industry for like 40 years, 50 years, and it could be at their prime right now, right? Someone who's working at like YSL or, you know, some big, massive corporation, who knows? But you talk to them, they're going to tell you the exact same thing. They started and there's things that they hated, they didn't like, and they went through the ringer. There's jobs that didn't work out. There's jobs that did work out. There's attitudes and there's <laughs> corporate lifestyles and structures that didn't respond well to you and blah, blah, blah. But that's all part of the process. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, don't take anything personally. If oh, it's not so true. Don't, yes. Don't, don't, just, it's just don't. so hard to do that, though. It's so hard to separate yourself, right? It's from... probably the hardest decision that you can make while working in a corporate company to be like, this isn't working for me, I'm leaving, without having any cause to really leave. You know what I mean? Like, like I've, I had that for a company, you know, in my, in my experience, for instance, like I work for this fantastic company and they're amazing and they have great design sense sensibility. But at the end of the day, it just, it wasn't working for me. I just, I'm not a nine to five person. I just wasn't fully engaged into the corporate lifestyle that they were kind of implementing. Um, and I just didn't want to climb a ladder. I'm not a person who I don't want to have to forcefully show what I can do just to get this title or right so, so some people identify themselves as based on their role or their titles you know and it's like well I am this role and it's kind of I, I've worked for companies where people who think they're just better than you because of their title yes. and then they look down at everybody else 100% um, and again like those people in those positions some earn it right some have that knowledge and experience but some are just there at the right time you know, that they were able to yeah. get that position without having that background yet, you know, they're threatened by you. And I've had that in jobs where I had senior management or directors who are threatened by me because I come in and I have the exact same knowledge they do or more of a diverse experience that they might have. And they're threatened by that. And that's kind of where that dichotomy comes in of like, what do I do? <laughs> you know, you have a job and it's like, it's great, but then people are kind of, yes more targeted towards you and more appointed and it's like how do I kind of navigate that it's so true and sometimes you don't know that these things that are going on that's behind the doors um, until you actually go and work there and I found like some companies like I just want to do my job but I feel like I get sucked into all the politics you always do. Uh, like, you try not to stay out of it. You always have to get involved in something. <laughs> you get involved in something and it's hard you not to. Or like there's something, you know. Yeah, totally. And I'm just like, um, can you just let me do my job? And I find like in my working for companies, like 50% is your work. Like the stress that comes with the job is yeah. your work. But then 50% is dealing with people. It hundred <laughs> percent. Like, yeah, I, I agree to that. It's it's half and half. Half of it is working yeah. with what you do and knowing what you can do and like working those projects. The other half is like worrying about how you communicate it and how someone on one team might take it this way, but then how another team might take it this way, and you're not even saying it in a directive that is, you know, pointed or implemented. You're just saying a statement, but people, it's attitudes, yes. right? And it's kind of how do you navigate that? realm of working with six seven hundred people at an office 
um, with such a diverse range of, you know, placements. And it's like, how do I come in and kind of navigate that? So yeah, it's, it's usually half half. That's a great analogy. I yeah. kind of look at corporate as like buying a house. When you work into like a corporate job or like any any like technical job or design job or like any job actually, it's like buying a house. You go in and you you know you got the job, so you have the house. But before you buy the house and stay with the house, you want to like do a home inspection and you want to walk through it and you want to like see what this room can do and what can do in this room. And that's kind of how I approach working with my contracts and freelancers. Is you know I come in, I'll I take the job if it looks great and we have um, room and we have kind of that. Um, scope of what they can do but then you know I have clients that I've had for six seven years and those are the clients that are the ones that I bought the house right I know how they work I love how they kind of do things I'm I'm very comfortable with what they do and I can do it rather quickly and easily and those are the clients that I keep on forever like hopefully right because you mm -hmm. have a great working relationship but again there's the clients that you know once you work a year maybe two years and you're like you know, okay, I'm, I'm not really feeling this, you know, it's not doing anything for me and it's not doing this. And a lot of companies nowadays say, oh, you have to work here for like four years until you can really like find your holding. And I'm like, but why four years? Like I come in with knowledge, right? It's not like you're coming out of school fresh. And if you are, then that might be a different avenue for you. You might have to like work those jobs to really gauge through how these companies work and knowing what you want and knowing where you, what you want to learn, right? For different aspects. But when you come in with, you know, 10 years experience to these jobs and they're so excited for you to come in, but then you have to still climb a ladder. It's yeah. just, it's too much in terms of, I don't want to climb it just for the sake of having a title. Like that's not what I want to do. And that's when I don't buy the house. Right. I'm just like, okay, I'll like do my contract for a year. How will, what, with what we signed, but then if there's extra work after that, then you can contact me and, and let me know. But it's never, you know, it's never going to be a full-time permanent thing. And that's kind of where, how I work with like full-time permanent jobs and like corporate kind of contracting jobs. Um, it's just, it's, it's, again, you're totally right. It's like a 50-50 split. <laughs> it's like 50-50 your work and 50-50 is like you're dealing with and how to deal with how everybody to deal with people. Um, yeah. And, and that's all part of the learning as well. Um, I think for me, I was fortunate to work um, the, the last company I was at. Um, my direct manager um, was wonderful, uh, had so much experience. And actually, I, I saw her as a mentor and learned so much. And that to me, I was like, that was probably the most harmonious work environment that you'll see or experience in this industry like um like from my experience i i hadn't come across um many companies that have directors or had directors actually you know encourage me to learn more and to be better and um taught me a lot of stuff like this this lady had and um she's amazing and still keep in contact with her and she taught me so much uh, and, and I've been able to take that experience with me um, into running my own business. And so I think, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to come across these kind of people, you should feel very lucky about that. Like, and, and, and if they really help you, I think, along really the journey sure. and Find having that support and that, the mentorship. Yes, 100%. And it's like, I guess with any job, there's always 
what I call the the honeymoon phase. Yeah. Right. With a job, it's like the first year, year and a bit is usually the honeymoon phase where that company is very willing to help you, and their, you know, their team is there to support you and grow you, hopefully to the capacity that where you want to be. But then it, you know, some of the companies they're very once that kind of period ends, then it's like a totally different story, right? You're kind of like left on your own, you have to do everything, and it's like that's where kind of like their kind of help policy ends. But finding people like that in those companies or even outside of those companies where you can just kind of talk with and have that support system, I think that is just as important. Um, I've worked with some designers in Paris that, you know, I we're, we're friends and we're, we're going to be lifelong friends. And it's just that great that you're able to make that connection. And then you have those people that you can really help um, just bridge stuff off of or just talk to yeah. That kind of avenue of a release, right? Where someone who knows what you're going through or has been through it can help kind of guide you, maybe, or just be a sounding board for you. Um, and I think that's absolutely, yeah. And I think it's so important for you to surround yourself with those people, um, especially like you said, you know, just be a sounding board for you or just a person to support you through this, through the ups and downs. And so, before we wrap this up, um, What's in the future for you? What I really want to do is I really want to create a think tank. And I want to create a think tank where people can go to, you know, this community, like this website or this platform where people can kind of ideate and like bridge off each other and use each other and kind of have that community aspect to the project. So it's a place where if people need somebody, they, can, they know if they go to this collective and they'll have the experience and the expertise to be able to do what they need. Um, if they need, you know, a graphic designer, or if they need a pattern engineer with, cert with certain experience, or if they need a merchant or a buyer, I really want to create kind of a collaborative think tank of people that we can kind of utilize and bridge within the industry, because it's very lacking now. There's a lot of clients I get where they're like, we have no idea who to contact. We've researched and Googled to like the nth degree, and we can't find anybody, or they find somebody, and it's not who they like or they want. So I really yeah. want to that aspect of having that kind of collective but at the same time I want to create a portion of my company that I want to start developing and creating and selling um, packages and goods for people who are starting off that can buy you know certain block set patterns and certain tech packs and certain um, tools and manuals and guides that they might need to help just kickstart their company because um, the biggest thing when you start any company take it from me who I know I started too, and it's, it's still going, um, is really like developing all that kind of uh, structure, right? Developing the stuff you need to communicate with your vendors and developing what you need to ideate and create with your team. You can't just like open up a sketch and sketch. You need certain things for your factories in China and Taiwan to do. You need certain types of patterns. You need certain types of things. So it's like, that's where I really want to come in and kind of facilitate that. Um, and hopefully offer all that and those things. And then I also really want to take my collection more seriously. I've been doing it for 12 years and it's been going great. I sold a lot earlier on. I was, you know, doing a lot of things for celebrities and I was doing a lot of dresses for and helping with like the Oscars and doing all that kind of stuff. But now it's like, I really want to focus in on developing my collection more sense, sense, sensibly and really developing smartly and really designing smartly and really figuring out what I want to do. And I think that's the exciting part is really just figuring out 
and keep reinventing yourself because you're always going to keep reinventing yourself. No, 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 nothing is ever going to stay the same, yeah. right? One year to one year, you're probably going to be totally different, um, which is great, right? It means you're growing. Um, so it's just growth, really. I think that's where I see myself is just growing more and just developing more. But I also want to give back and help and provide people who, when I started, I had no, like, I had my, my, my little collective, but I didn't have, like, the, the availability of if I need somebody to do this for me. I didn't have that, right? I didn't know who to go to. I didn't know if I can trust that person, if they were vetted or if they had the experience that they needed. So I think that's where I eventually want to get to. <laughs> wow, that sounds wonderful. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to talk to you about. Like we can just go on forever. But I really enjoy um, talking to you today, Ryan. It was so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. It's so great just to talk and just have that like discourse and dialogue with people in the industry and kind of create and spark those new ventures. And it's just, it's fun to like interact and engage because I think that's what's missing so heavily in the apparel industry is everybody's so closed off and protective, right? They're like, oh, I don't want to do this. So because I don't want to do my secrets. Oh my God. Like, yeah. I don't want to share my secrets. Right? But I'm like, why? Like, just, people are going to figure it out anyways it's like unless it's a trade secret it's like oh, what is it? and engage with people but you know have that openness so yeah so true so i know <laughs> that's what this is all about you know i just wanted to <laughs> up and have cool dialogue and discussion around this industry both good and bad uh you know the good the bad and the ugly like we could have another podcast episode about that. We'll just like dish it out. Yes, it's a dish session. <laughs> no, that would be so much fun. Um, but this is great. And how about um, let me ask you uh, how can people um, contact you? Where can people find you? Um, yeah, so you can um, go to my website, which is ryanamoridesign.com, and it has more, that's my more tech, tech, technical website, where it has a lot of my portfolios of clients and my collections and, like, how to contact me. Um, you can use my email, um, which is ryan at ryanamoridesign.com, um, and that's my, more of my inquiry email. Um, and then hopefully my shop is currently under construction. So they're redesigning my Shopify website. So I'm hoping that's going to be able to launch soon. And you can find me just at ryanamori.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can find me on Instagram at glennistow and my website, glennistow.com. Please subscribe to Chase Your Dreams podcast if you haven't already. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others who you think this may help. And lastly, it would be great if you left a rating and review for our podcast. See you next time.